So the title of today's message is Faith to Pursue God's Dream. And we're going to be starting out in Genesis 37, if you want to turn there. As you're turning there, I just want to tell you about a time in my own life where I pursued a dream. 1995, Tammy and I had been married for a couple years. I was working in an electronics factory called Manutronics. I was also a volunteer EMT. I've, I worked for a standby service, and we just went out and sat at football games and, and various high school events and things like that. We were also on the county dive team, and, but we didn't really work or do much because we lived in the city of Kenosha, and that's covered by the fire department. And I was an EMT basic there, and the pay for an EMT basic really wasn't enough to support a family, and I was the sole breadwinner for the most part at that time. And so... I'm stuck in this factory job, and I'm stuck in a factory job I don't like. And day after day, I'm sitting on an assembly line. I'm making ballasts that, that go into fluorescent lights. I'm making remote controls, circuit boards for various different things. And once in a while, I would hear the siren of a fire department come flying past the factory because we were on one of the main highways there in Pleasant Prairie near Kenosha. And I would look at that ambulance as it went past and said, man, I wish I was going on that call. I would think, man, I wish I was in that ambulance and responding, but I'm stuck on this assembly line. And I really wanted something more than what felt like a, a dead-end existence. Sitting on this, an assembly line, putting the same part A into slot B and soldering it in for five to six days a week, 10 hours a day, um, and that's all I did was sit on this line. And it was just really boring and just not very fulfilling to do. And so I talked it over with Tammy. And we started to save up for paramedic school. And I started that in 1996. Now paramedic school, at least at that time in Kenosha, was a very unique educational experience. Most people, when you go to college, you go for a semester and a quarters and all that kind of thing. Paramedic school is just about a solid year long. And I'm not talking about three or four semesters. I'm talking about you go for a year. And this year is, is um, split up between your classroom time and then all the clinical time and all the ride time you do. So for an entire year, I am living, sleeping, eating, and breathing, being a paramedic, in addition to working a full-time job of 50 to 60 hours a week. And because of all this sacrifice, because I kept that dream alive in my head, I was able to graduate on time, which was very unusual for a person who worked full-time to be able to do that. And I remember the day that my license came. And it came with, uh, from the state of Wisconsin, and it came with one of these patches that say paramedic on it. You can't even get these anymore. They're out of date now. And I remember taking this patch and looking at it with my license number on it, 53261, and looking at it and just kind of hugging it to my chest because I finally was able to live the dream that I had been sacrificing for for the last year. And little did I know that this dream that I thought that God allowed me to have for myself was actually part of the dream that he had for me. The dream that would eventually be able to fulfill what his plan was for me when that was to be able to support myself so I could come to a small rural church and be a pastor. It was all part of his plan. 
Joseph was a man that was given a dream by God. And today we're going to explore how God's dream for Joseph came about. And my prayer for this morning is that God is going to help refocus all of us back to the dream that God has for you. God has a dream for every single person here. It may not be a dream that, that ends you with a title of pastor or elder or anything else, but he has a dream for you. And I know some of you may be thinking I'm too old, or some of you might be thinking like I've messed up too much in life. But God has a dream for you. If you are still breathing in this room, God's dream is still in effect for you, and it's still out there for you to go get. Some of you may have never heard this. Some of you may have never heard that God has dreams for you. So today, if you believe that, I really want you to pay attention to this message because I know that God has something for you this morning. So let's read in Genesis 37, starting in verse 2. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the son of Beliah and the son of Zelpiah, his father's wives, and he brought to their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been bored to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and they could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. They said to him, he said to him, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Hallelujah. Father God. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the example that it gives that you indeed have dreams for every person. And I ask, Lord, that as we study Joseph's life here this morning, that you will ignite that kind of passion and that need within our own spirits to seek your face and learn what your dream is for our life. Father God, be with us this morning in your name and for your glory. Amen. As I studied for today's message, I discovered four truths from the life of Joseph, Joseph that can give you the faith to pursue God's dream for your life. And the first truth that we understand is that God has a dream for you. When we, re when we read the Bible, sometimes we just read it and we kind of put it back on the shelf, but we don't let it really penetrate to our hearts. We don't think about what is written in there and put ourselves into the story. And when we do that, we remove ourselves from that biblical narrative and think that God only did this in those people's lives, or he only did this during those people and during those kind of times. And now that's over now. That I'm just, I'm just John. And John doesn't move like he did in Joseph's life. But God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, isn't he? He's not, he doesn't show any favorites. He acts like this in everybody's lives. And you know what? From eternity past, God has dreamed of you. Did you know that? When he created this, this whole universe, he had you in his mind. 
You say, well, where does it say that in the Bible? Well, it does. Ephesians chapter 1, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And listen to this. For he chose us in him before, before the creation of the world to be homely, to be holy, blameless in his sight. God has a dream for you. You see it throughout the Bible. You see ordinary people doing extraordinary things because they had the faith to believe that God had dreams for them. And that brings me to my first point about this truth, is that after salvation, after taking care of your sinful nature uh, at the cross of Jesus Christ, after salvation, discovering what God's dream is for you is the most important thing in your life. Why is that? Because the Bible, throughout the entire biblical history, and it says it very emphatically, that without vision, people perish. That is true of a nation. That is true of a state. That is true of a city. And that is definitely true to each and single, every single individual that has ever lived. Every person ever born has a purpose that is to be fulfilled by following God's dream for them. Consider something with me for a moment. If you look at your life, especially if you're a Christian, if you look at your life as a journey toward a kingdom that exists somewhere. How many people here have read uh, the book by John Bunyan called Pilgrim's Progress? Anybody read that book? I know pretty much everybody over the age of 60 has probably read that book. It's probably required in school. John, if you haven't read it, John Bunyan was a Christian reformer in England who spent much of his life in prison because he decided to have church services away from the corrupt church of England. So they kept throwing him into prison and throwing him into prison every time he tried to do it. And while he was in prison, he wrote this book called Pilgrim's Progress. It's a great book. I encourage you to read it. And it's an incredible allegory of the journey that a Christian takes toward heaven and shows all the different pitfalls that exist along the path to get into this eternal kingdom. When you read Pilgrim's Progress, you see all the way that the enemy, everything that the enemy throws at you to take your eyes off God and his plan for your life. One of the things he throws at you is pride. Pride tries to sneak in and take your eyes off of God and put them onto yourself, which leads you to try to follow your own plans for your life instead of following God's. Riches is another one that is brought up in that book. That subtle allure that leads you to seek comfort in life instead of God's plan. Fear. Fear leads to doubt, which leads to unbelief, which gets you to question the dream. Did God really say? Isn't that what the first temptation was? Did God really say? That same thing comes when it comes to our dreams. Did God really say that he wanted you to do this? Did God really say that he wanted you to go to that place? Did God really say that he wants to elevate you and put you over here and have you work for him over here? Did God really say? Did he really speak? Or is that just your own imagination? Or he tells, or the enemy will tell you, you can't do that. It's impossible. You can't do that. You've messed up your life too much already. You can't do that. There's too many obstacles in the way. 
And the enemy, when he sees that God is preparing to come in, preparing you to come into that dream that God has for you, will use all of this and more to either discourage, dissuade you, or disqualify you to come into that promised dream. But remember, if God calls you to do something, if God gives you a dream that he wants you to pursue, he already knows your past, he knows what obstacles you have in the present, and he knows exactly how you're going to get there in the future. He is the God of the past, present, and future. He knows it all. So if God is giving you a dream, he already knows every time you're going to stumble, he knows every time you're going to succeed along the way into bringing that dream into fulfillment. Satan is going to do everything he can to try to disqualify you from that dream. He'll throw obstacle after obstacle, pitfall after pitfall, sin after sin, temptation after temptation into, this, into your path to try to get you out of this dream that God has for you to try to disqualify you from it. But you have to remember, God doesn't call the qualified, does he? He qualifies the called. That's his expertise. He qualifies the called. So Satan can't disqualify you from it as long as you keep pursuing that dream. So instead, the enemy will try to use discouragement to dissuade you out of that dream. And that brings us to our second point about the truth, that God has a dream for you. And that is to be very careful who you share this dream with. Joseph's family didn't react well to God's dream for him, did they? I mean, think about it. Put yourself into this biblical account. Joseph is the second to the youngest son in that family. So that probably had a lot to do with that rejection to begin with. He's probably very prideful, probably a pain to be around. If you've been in a large family, you know that if, if the last kid that's born is usually the baby of the family and the kid that gets away with murder... You know, it's like your parents got sick of disciplining kids, so they just kind of let them live however they want. So Joseph is like this favored son, and, and, and it all factors in to this story. And we learn from the family's reaction to God's dream for Joseph this important point. No one will question your dreams, particularly if you claim they're from God, more than your own family. I mean, after all, they know you best, don't they? They know how messy your room is. They know how you don't finish your broccoli at the table. They know all of your, your little faults. I remember when I got called to the ministry and I told my family about it, the reaction from the, my broader family was pretty much laughter. My grandmother, being a good Lutheran, again questioned if Tammy and I had gotten involved in a cult. When we got married and we told her that we we're going to get married at, at Lakeshore Tabernacle, she thought for sure we got involved with a cult because they didn't have Evangelical Lutheran Church on the front. And she said, you can't possibly become a pastor, Johnny. You can't be a pastor. I said, why not? Well, you haven't gone to four years of college and three years of seminary. That's required to become a pastor. You're not, you don't have, they haven't issued you a robe. They haven't issued you your stoles. You can't possibly become a pastor. That's what my grandma told me. And she goes, and by the way, I know what you've done when you were a teenager, and you're disqualified. You can't become a pastor. You've done too much bad stuff. You can't ever, ever, ever become a pastor. It just it can't happen. 
And understand, I'm not being critical of my beloved grandmother. Honestly, I probably would have done the same thing if my brother had come to me and told me he was called to the ministry. I would have looked at him and said, are you even sober right now? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> back then, he's, he's, he's actually improved a lot now. Good guy now. But, yeah, back then, I would have said the same thing. And that's why, especially in the early days of understanding and following God and fulfilling his dream for you, it's better probably to keep it to yourself for a while. Let it germinate in your spirit. Let God speak to you about the dreams. Or at least only tell a few very, very trusted and more importantly, mature Christian friends. Mature. Not the same people. I mean, obviously there's nobody here in a youth group, but not the guy you came up with in youth group. Somebody who is a mature Christian friend, elder, deacon, pastor, somebody who can help guide you in this. And this is where Joseph went wrong. Instead of, instead of seeking God about this dream, he went looking for validation from his family. And the problem is that for the most part, his family had too narrow of a view of God. You can't sell somebody on your dream if they have never discovered God's dream for themselves. That's an important point when we talk about dreams. When you tell somebody what your vision is of what you think God wants you to do, and they've either been too chicken or too cowardly to find this out for themselves, they will not buy into your dream. They did not understand the love and the grace of God. How would he would be able to use their annoying little brother instead of one of them? Joseph's family was also stuck in this preconceived cultural pecking order of how things were supposed to happen. I mean, after all, if God's going to bless this family, Joseph, he's going to do it through Reuben. Reuben's the firstborn, and he's the one that God's going to use. And most importantly, they did not understand the sovereignty of God. If we sum up the sovereignty of God, it just simply says, God is God. God will do what God wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it, and through whom he wants to do it. Because that's what it means to be God. And finishing this point, people who discourage you from pursuing a God-given dream are usually people who never had the courage, the spiritual insight, drive, and most importantly, faith to allow God's dream for them to come into fruition. Don't let people do that to you. Please, don't let people steal God's dream for you. Don't allow a small person to steal a big dream. Amen? That leads us to our second truth. And when you get, that is, when you get the dream, pursue it. There's a truth that I've discovered in life. And that is, after sin, sin is the, the greatest destroyer of the human spirit, but after sin, it is my belief that one of the greatest killers of the human spirit is unfulfilled dreams. The regret of, I wish I had. I've watched a lot of people die over the years of being a paramedic. I've held a lot of hands as people have taken their last breath. I've heard a lot of last words. And one of the most tragic things I hear as people say their last words are, I wish I had. I've also known a lot of older people 
who I would take to various medical appointments on the ambulance because they needed a stretcher. They might have had hip surgery or some type of surgery where they couldn't walk or sit in a wheelchair, so I would have to take them to their appointments. And I would talk to them during the transports, and pretty much invariably, I would find two types of people. Those who live their dreams and those who are in the prison of regret for playing it safe. The former were nice and interesting and, and pleasant to be around. The latter, not so much. Those are the, the type of calls that you just wouldn't want to be on. Why is that? Unfulfilled dreams and the regret that comes with that. I'll say it again, that after sin, there's no greater killer of the human spirit than regret. Are you living with regret today? Are you haunted by the words, I wish I would have? Is there an unfulfilled purpose that God has for your life that has continued to haunt you and continuing to steal your joy? Because if there is, you need to do some business with God this morning. If you're listening to me, if you're still taking in oxygen right now, you still have a chance to live God's dream for you. Right now, it's like you're a small child sitting on the side of a pool, and your father's in the pool with arms outstretched saying, just jump, just jump, I'll catch you, I'll catch you. You need to make that decision in your own life. Jump. Your father will not drop you. Hasn't happened yet, never will happen. This is a good place to talk about another point about this pursuing the dream, and that is the reality of spiritual resistance. Let me ask you a question. As you read the Bible, and you read about the people that have gone before us, when do the greatest attacks come to the people who are called by God? Usually, right when God reveals his dream for them. And I can't explain how this happens. I don't know what happens in the spiritual realm. I don't, God has not given me that kind of a, of, a, of a revelation to understand that. But it's like when God gives somebody a dream, it's like suddenly that person pops up on Satan's spiritual radar and, spirit, and Satan will come and, and yell to his demon hordes and say, get him, kill it, get to that dream before that person starts to actually believe that God can use them. Because the enemy knows there is nothing more dangerous to his kingdom than a person pursuing a God-given dream. And when that happens, when the enemy comes in like a flood, that light, that, that, that passion, all those, those emotions that happened to you when God gave you that dream, all of a sudden it just seems like, boom, lights go out. And the enemy comes in like a flood. That's where faith comes in. That's where faith comes in, and a trust that God is with you. He's with you. He's empowering you. He's leading you into the fulfillment of that dream. And that leads us to the next truth about God's dream for you, is that there's going to be challenges on the way to the fulfillment of that dream. Let's look at some of Joseph's challenges of, ha of having faith in the dream that God has given for him. Most people will go through all or some of these or something maybe even completely different between the promise of the dream and its fulfillment, but we can learn a lot through looking at what Joseph went through. The reasons that we have to go through challenges on our way to the dream is told to us by Jesus. 
Jesus told us you don't put new wine into old wineskins. Because what happens? They burst and everything gets spilled all over the ground. To hold that dream intact, there needs to be a new wineskin. The wineskin is a metaphor for the human soul. Our souls need that kind of preparation time to receive everything that God has for us. And it usually, almost always, involves a significant humbling of ourselves to be able to accept the things from God. Joseph is about to find that out in Genesis 37. Joseph is sent out by his father to check to see how his brothers were doing. I don't know what his brothers did when they were out there, but for some reason, Jacob decided that they needed to check it up on, so he sends his son Joseph to go and, and tell him what his sons are doing out there. And they, as they see Joseph approaching them, they react like this in Genesis 37:18. They saw him in a distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So they grabbed Joseph and they threw him into a pit, an old dried up well. And we're going to leave him there. Remember when I said, be careful who you share your dreams with? Why? Why did this have to happen to Joseph? What purpose did this serve? Why did God allow his chosen person to endure this kind of treatment? Because let's face it, Joseph needed some humbling. He needed to learn not to depend upon the approval of others. He needed to get this pride off of him. Pride is the worship of self. And a person cannot be used of God if they are proud. Joseph needed and he craved attention. He needed recognition. And the thought that his whole family are going to bow down to him one day just fed in to this issue of pride that he had. God needed to get rid of that. God needed to prepare him to be able to carry this dream so that so God allowed the pit to happen. I could be up here all day. Any of us probably could share stories of situations in our own life where God had to bring us to a humbling or crush that need for other people's approval. But God told me in prayer once that I will never hear his voice. I will never be able to be fully used by him if what I'm really seeking is man's applause. He said, John, you will, never know, you will never know my abiding presence if you yearn for man's praise. If that's what you're really looking for. And that's the reason Joseph is going to begin to learn here about what pride does to a person. Because now he's looking upward out of a pit. This old, dried up, abandoned well that has been covered up. Old, Dried up, abandoned, weld. Sounds like a dream never brought into reality, doesn't it? Sometimes in order to get us to quit looking toward our fulfillment, God has to make our world go dark. God has to make everything else outside of us and inside of us dark. So the only place we can look is inward. 
see ourselves for who we really are, and then understand that and seek God. Ask the Apostle Paul about that when you get to heaven. Same thing happened to him on the Damascus Road. Joseph's training and remaking of his wineskin continued with being sold into slavery. Genesis thirty-seven twenty-eight. So when the Midianites merchants came by, his brothers pulled, him out, pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Think about this for a moment from Joseph's perspective. Things are not looking so good, are they? He has just gone in one day from being the favorite son of a very wealthy and powerful family to a slave trudging to Egypt in chains. I imagine during that trip to Egypt, God is working on Joseph's heart. And he's now getting him ready to enter into that next challenge that God was going to use to bring Joseph closer into fulfilling that dream that God had for him. And that was Potiphar's house. And as bleak as everything looked for Joseph, I want you to see and think about this verse in Genesis 39-2 because it's key to how God brings our dreams about. Genesis 39.2 says, The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. That seems to be an odd thing to say, doesn't it? It's like I was just thrown into a pit. I was just robbed of all my inheritance from my father. And now I'm a slave and, he's, and God's prospering me? The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his, of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Joseph put him in charge of his household and trusted everything to his care, everything he owned. I want to bring to attention a few points from this scripture. If you are in the will of God, if you are in the will of God. His blessings and his favor will always follow you. That is a guarantee from the Bible. Too often we attribute God's delay or some current unpleasant circumstance or situation to God being disappointed with us. Instead of asking God why, you know, why am I in this situation? Ask him instead, what? Lord, what are you using this situation to try to teach me? What part of myself is continuing to rise up against you and needs to die? What what needs to happen in my soul that this situation is trying to draw out? And you may never get a direct answer. God rarely tells us, rarely tells us why we're going through what we're going through. That's where faith comes in. You need to have faith in his love for you. Faith that he has your best interests in mind. And faith that he's working behind the scenes to bring that dream into a reality. Joseph learned this and other valuable lessons in Potiphar's house. He got to see how Egyptian society and its government worked. Potiphar was one of Pharaoh's top officials. He learned how to run a large household. And most importantly, he learned to serve even if there's disagreement. Probably the most important thing he learned is to respect authority even when he didn't agree. 
I would imagine for a Jewish man living in an Egyptian household, there was probably a dozen things every day that were offensive to him. Idols and, and sacrifices and different things like that, that that tried to draw him away from the true faith in God. Things that were just repulsive to him, but he still served. I imagine that Potiphar treated him like a slave and probably treated him poorly at times, but still he served faithfully. Even when Potiphar's wife threw herself at Joseph, he stayed faithful and he served. And I have learned in my own life through some very painful lessons that God cannot move you into your dream until you learn to serve. Especially when you disagree. Especially when you disagree. Because that's what submission is. Obedience is simply follow the rules out of fear of consequence. That's what obedience is. Submission is what God is looking for. Submission is the heart attitude. Submission is what God is developing in Joseph's heart by allowing these circumstances. And submission, in spite of circumstance, is the key to spiritual promotion in the kingdom of God. I've been in the church 23 years, and I found the reason that most Christians will not mature is because of a lack of submission. First to God, God you submit to him first, but then to his authority on earth, both spiritual and secular. There are too many Christians that go to work, kick their feet up on the desk, say, this is a day that the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be thankful in it, and not give their employer eight hours of work for eight hours of pay. My friends, that cannot be. God does judge you of how well you work at your job. And if you choose to resist if you re- and choose to ignore God's attempt to teach you submission, if you willfully rebel and kick against those goals, it will kill all growth in your life. And it's going to derail your progress toward God fulfilling his dream for you. You can't have the blessing unless you submit to the process. And that's what Joseph is learning here. Joseph remains submitted and faithful. Yet it causes another betrayal to come into his, his life. A false accusation that he tried to rape his master's wife. Which causes him to be cast into prison. Let's review. Joseph's been betrayed by his brothers. He's thrown into a pit. He's sold into slavery. Ends up in Potiphar's house. He learns submission. He serves faithfully. Does everything right. And is betrayed again by a false accusation. And he lands in prison. Betrayed, pit, Potiphar, betrayed, prison. That's the summary of Joseph's life for the last five to ten years. And some people will read this account of Joseph's life and are thinking, this is how God rewards faithfulness? Let's continue to read. Genesis 39, 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to everything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. 
Joseph is in prison with no chance of parole, no chance of escape, no chance of anything changing in his life. This is his reality now. And this brings us to the last challenge you're facing, you may face before coming into the dream that God has for you. And that is the death of the dream. And you're thinking, what? Wait a minute, God has to allow the dream to die? What, what kind of sense does that make? It sounds illogical. It sounds counterintuitive. It doesn't make any sense to me. That's why God has to make us believe it's dead. That there's no chance of this dream ever becoming a reality. To Joseph right now, there is no way his family will ever bow down to him. That he'll ever be in a position of leadership, rulership, or anything else. The best he's got right now is he gets to be a trustee in the jail. So why does God have to make us believe it's dead? Because it's God's dream, not ours. It's going to be carried by God's person who has submitted to the process. It's going to be done in God's way. It's going to be done and fulfilled in God's timing. In other words, you're not going to be able to look back and say, I am where I am in life because I did that. If you have really submitted to this process, you're going to understand this is God's plan. And that should make you say, thank you, God. I am so blessed. I should not be where I am today. I don't deserve it. I've done everything within my own power to mess it up. I didn't earn it. But God, that's the lesson of the prison. You did nothing to help this dream about. You've done everything you can probably to sabotage it at times. But God, God is still with Joseph in the prison. He's blessed him. He's allowed him this position of authority where he can learn to manage people in very, very difficult circumstances. Like maybe a future famine that's coming. And when you consider everything that happened in Joseph's life, you will see the truth. That through all of this, all these challenges, God has had Joseph in a graduate level management training program for the last 13 years. And God is preparing Joseph for the day where indeed everyone in the known world will bow before him. In the midst of the betrayals, in the darkness of the pit, in the chains heading toward Egypt, serving Potiphar, betrayed again, years in prison. They've all killed the idea in Joseph's Mind that the dream he had when he was 17 would ever come true. But then, God. And in one day, one day, Joseph goes from prison to palace. And he becomes the second most powerful man on earth. And that brings us to the fourth truth. We're almost done. The fulfillment of the dream. Now Joseph was governor in the land, the one who sold grain to all of its people. When Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down with their faces to the ground. God fulfilled the dream. Again, the dream wasn't for Joseph's benefit. And finally, Joseph sees the truth about the dream. When he he reveals himself to his brothers... He tells them exactly what this dream was about. 
In Genesis 45, 7, he says, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. It is only... It has been said that the only time we see our lives clearly is when we look backwards. Hindsight is 2020. Joseph went through 13 years of suffering before he learned and earned the right in God's eyes for that dream to be fulfilled. And now all Joseph can do is look back and say, wow, all that betrayal that pit, Potiphar, betrayal, prison, all that stuff had a purpose to prepare me to stand right here, right now before the right people to have the right heart for them. I had to suffer so that they could be saved. Does that sound like somebody else you and I are supposed to be following as Christians? Does that sound like somebody you and I are supposed to be emulating in our life? Somebody that suffered for us so that we could be saved? Doesn't that sound like somebody we should model our lives after? That's why it's important for you to follow the dream that God has for your life. To discover it for yourself. God has a dream for you today. You may be somewhere between betrayal and the palace and have lost all hope for it coming true. But God, God is still there. He is still working. His favor is still upon you if you could continue to seek him with all of your heart. God wants you to come to him this morning with a simple request. Show me again, Father. God, I need you to restore my vision. I need, I, let me see what you're doing in the background. Let me see your hand moving in my life. Let me know your presence and let me submit anew to this process. Give me the faith to believe in this truth. Because he who has began a good work in you will carry it to the completion. Hallelujah. Let's rise. Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you have dreams for us. And Father, I don't know what people are going through here. I don't know what how they think that they may have disqualified or derailed or been dissuaded from following this dream. But I would ask right now, Father, that your Holy Spirit will come and touch them again. Ignite them for you, O oh God. Let them see the possibilities that come from believing in an all-powerful God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If God is for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. Lord God, break the chains of Satan over the hearts and minds of your people and let them come into the promise that you made them years ago. Let them submit to the process now because it's for Jesus. It's all for Jesus.